Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. The first five commandments are vertical. And that has to be there first. That's our love for God, vertical. And the second five commandments are horizontal. Our love for others, loving them as ourselves. Is that not how the law is fulfilled? And if you don't have the vertical first, then you won't have this horizontal love for others as a result. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. God gave us the Ten Commandments for a reason. He knew what He was doing when He laid them out. In his message, Pastor J.D. points out that the first half of the commandments concern our relationship with God, and the second half is with others. Following this example, we must have our relationship with God right before we can show true love to others. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now here's Pastor J.D. with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Paul takes it even a step further and sort of expounds on this. He says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. That's grace. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is Paul's ministry. This is that which God had called Paul to, this ministry of reconciliation. First, by grace, with God, through Jesus Christ, and then once we're restored to God, reconciled, reunited to God, we can be reconciled one with another. Here's what I'm thinking. It's only when, and I want you to think through this with me. It's only when we've tasted from this cup of grace that we can then also taste of the love of God. And when we taste of the love of God and see that he is good, it comes packaged with a love for God's people. You show me a Christian who loves God, and I will show you a Christian who loves God's people. And conversely, you show me a Christian who does not love God, and I'll show you a Christian who cannot love God's people because of it. And by the way, this is why the first five commandments are about us loving God. And the second five commandments are about us loving our neighbor as ourselves. And there's an interesting typology of sorts in that the first five commandments are vertical, And that has to be there first. That's our love for God, vertical. And the second five commandments 
are horizontal. Our love for others, loving them as ourselves. Is that not how the law is fulfilled? And if you don't have the vertical first, then you won't have this horizontal love for others as a result. And there's a picture of the cross in the Ten Commandments. You cannot love others if you don't have the love that you have for God and that God has for you. When I was first married, I was such a jerk when I, uh, no, I really was. I've confessed this, okay? I've repented, but I was just, I was not a, anyway. I remember telling my wife, uh, and I thought it was so profound. I mean, I just, it was one of those things, you know, where you just think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm such a godly husband, you know? And so I, I said to her this, don't do the elbows, not yet anyway, but I said to her this, I said, honey, I love you with a love that only God gives. I thought, oh, she's going to be so blessed. And I, and I looked at the look on her face and it was this look of horror. And she, and she says to me, she says, you mean to tell me that I am so unlovable? That you can't muster up any love in and of yourself that I'm so unlovable. The only way you can love me is if God gives you a love for me. Where did you get that? Wives, how do you do that? You, you take, listen, us husbands have a hard enough time as it is. Don't do that. I mean, we think we're, we're being so loving and, and you take that and you do that and I don't know how you do that and so don't do that. But anyway, as, in theory it was true because the love that I had for her was the love that we're told husbands are to have for their wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. When I have that love from God and for God vertically, then as a result, I'll have the love for my wife and others horizontally. That's how it works. Now, what's the source of this? Grace. You'll forgive the oversimplification. I'll, I'll kind of unpack that. But it starts with the embrace of God's grace. And here's how it works. Once we've embraced God's grace, we can love as God loves. And we can love as God loves by virtue of how loving much comes by way of having been forgiven of much. And that's the grace. Do you see the connection between the two? This is Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Jesus is illustrating with a parable about the one who has been forgiven of much, loving much. And he says of the woman who had just anointed him with oil, this oil some believe would be valued about the amount of somebody's annual salary. And it was something that in that day they would save up all of their lives for their own burial. This is before the days of embalming. And so this was a burial oil. And 
and an anointing oil, and she's in effect anointing the Savior for his burial, of course, the subsequent resurrection. And Jesus is on the receiving end of this harsh criticism. And so he tells them this parable and asks Simon, after he tells them this parable about two guys, both of which owed this debt. However, one of the debts was so enormous, it was impossible to be paid back. And he's forgiven of that debt. And then he contrasts it in the parable with another who also owed a debt, but it was very small. And he asks Simon, he says, who do you think is more thankful for being forgiven of their debt? Well, Simon answers correctly. Of course, the one who was forgiven of much. And then Jesus, in response to the woman, says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. And then he contrasts it. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Let me just, um, since my wife's not here today, talk about another marriage example. <laughs> Early on in our marriage, you know, you know how it is, right? You, you get into a conflict and you're, you're the one that's in the right. And they're always the one that's wrong. And you're not going to go to them and they need to come to you and uh, because they wronged you and they need to say they're sorry and ask for forgiveness. And you sit there and you fume and you, I'm not going to go to them. They need to come to me and say they're sorry because they're the ones that were wrong. I wasn't wrong. Reminds me of what Oswald Chambers said. It's not, have you been wronged? It's, have you wronged? And so there you sit, and days go by under the banner of what we call the silent treatment. Oh my goodness, the tension, no elbows. (laughs) The tension is so thick you could cut it with a chainsaw. And I mean, you just sit there and I'm not going to, I'm not going to apologize. They need to apologize first. And this was the case. I don't, not anymore because, you know, I'm a pastor now and have a perfect marriage. I'm a godly husband, right? But this is early in the early days. And so days would go by, and we'd have this silent treatment. And um, during one of these occasions, the Lord really ministered to me. This is a very, um, just a way of illustrating it. It was like he was saying to me, do I need to email you an attachment of a file of all of the things that I have forgiven you of? And you're not going to forgive her for this perceived wrong? I said, okay, no, don't do that. First of all, my email won't accept that big of a file. (laughs) That's the first problem. (laughs) But I I get the point. I I need to forgive others of the little because I've been on the receiving end of being forgiven of much. And the one who forgives much is the one who loves much. Now stay with me because this is where I'm going with this. This is why it is that Paul was so loving. Think about this. If there was ever a man that was forgiven of much, was it not Saul of Tarsus? You know, before he was Paul the Apostle, he was Saul of Tarsus, a man to be feared 
which is why we have the account in Scripture that when the early church was told that Saul of Tarsus is coming, they're like, run! He's going to have us put to death. I said, no, 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 you, you don't know what happened, do you? You didn't hear. Uh, he got saved. No. That'd be like Osama bin Laden getting saved. That'd be like the Islamic State. Not, not possible. No, that's what he was seen as. He was terrorizing the early church. You could, you could call him a terrorist. And then God gets a hold of him on that road to Damascus. And he comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and becomes one of the very people that he was persecuting and put to death. Don't think for a second that he didn't live with the image in his mind for the rest of his life of those people taking their last breath at his hands when they were put to death. Paul was keenly aware of how much he had been forgiven of. And this is the source of the much love that he had as a result. The one who's been forgiven of much loves much. And to me, this explains why it is and even how it is that Paul was such a loving man. Maybe you don't see him like that. Maybe you see the apostle as this gruff and rough, hard-driven, in-your-face, unflinching fearlessness. I don't see Paul that way. I see a man who was a very loving man, so much so that he was willing to do the hard thing. And that's why we even have what we have here in this second epistle, and really the first epistle as well, to the Corinthians. Simply put, Paul was on the receiving end of God's amazing grace. I would suggest that the Christians who have the most grace and are the most loving have themselves known intimately God's grace and God's love and God's forgiveness. And they're the ones that are quick to forgive because they themselves have been forgiven. What really Paul is saying is you need to be restored. You're a church that is in desperate need of reconciliation and restoration. And here's how you can get there. Here's how you can get there. You've been on the receiving end of having been forgiven of much. And when you realize that, when you embrace that grace from God, and you realize how much you've been forgiven of, you will in turn also love much. Love one another. And when you love one another, you'll be reconciled one with another. You'll forgive me for waxing sentimental. I'll bring it to a close. But I do want to share that I really believe Paul was very emotional when it came to the Corinthian church. When it came to this particular church, I think Paul was very passionate and very emotional. I think he cried a lot over this church. And we know this from the book of Acts, chapter 20, where Paul just very candidly and very honestly says, you know, I, I, I cried for you for three years. 
I couldn't sleep at night. I was on my knees at night praying, crying for you. Why? Because I knew that once I left, that there would come from within your midst these wolves in sheep's clothing, and they wouldn't spare this flock of God. They would draw disciples unto themselves. you got to know that he was referring to the super apostles that we just became aware of and learned about in the previous chapter chapters. In Acts chapter 18, there's a very interesting verse, and it gives you kind of a snapshot into the heart of the Apostle Paul. Actually, this kind of ties in to our uh, teaching on Thursday night. The last couple of Thursdays, I've been doing a topical teaching on prayer, power of prayer, and then last Thursday was on the peace from prayer, the peace that comes. And I talked a lot about fear and how that when we're afraid, when we're terrified, when we're anxious, when we're worried, when we fret, when we fear, we're actually in pretty good company with many a man and woman of God, mightily used of God, in Scripture. And we talked about Joshua, how terrified he was, how fearful he was, full of fear, after Moses died, and he was the heir apparent. But there's also this verse in chapter 18 of Acts where Paul, the apostle, admits that he himself was full of fear. And it's very interesting because he was full of fear while in Corinth of all places. You know why he was full of fear? He was full of fear because they were seeking to kill him. And so the Lord appears to him in a vision and says, Paul, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Keep speaking. And here's why. I have many people in Corinth that are going to get saved. Do not be afraid. I will be with you. None of these things will happen to you. I will be with you. Do not be afraid. You stay there. And we're told that he stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. And oh, by the way, this might explain this this love that Paul had for the Corinthians, why it is that he would spend more time with them than he did with any other church with the exception of the church of Ephesus. I liken Paul's love to a parent's love for a child with special needs, or if you prefer, the love that a parent has for a sick child. You know how it is when one of your children is not doing well, they're unhealthy, they're sick, you give them more attention. You have to, they, they have more needs. I know that when our daughter Noel was alive, we really had to, and, and there was a, it was a different kind of love, I gotta tell you. When you, when your daughter is dying, it's a, it's a different kind of love. And I, I liken Paul's love to this church that was so unhealthy. It was so unhealthy. And that's why he gave them so much attention and so much love. It was for that reason. And that's why, again, I believe it is that he spent more time there. And if you were to take 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and you you just kind of take the the main theme from both of these epistles, I think it comes down to one word. And that word is love. 
That word is love. And that's how I want to close. I'm having a hard time, right, leaving uh, Corinthians. I'm having a hard time bringing this epistle to a close, but I'm going to do so by reading the famous love chapter, if you'll indulge me, in 1 Corinthians 13. I think it sums everything up perfectly. Follow along if you want to turn there. I'll begin in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Can't wait. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, Love these three, but the greatest of these is love. That's all we have time for today on In Spirit and Truth. If you'd like to listen to today's message, head to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on the Listen tab. You'll also have access to a number of other teachings by Pastor JD, as well as his weekly Aloha Prophecy Updates. You can download our mobile app to take these teachings with you wherever you go. Learn more about In Spirit and Truth and Pastor JD at our website and also on Twitter. We'd love to have you join the conversation there. We'd also love to meet you in person as well and would like to invite you to join us for our weekly services here at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We gather each Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. and also on Thursdays at 7 p.m. 
And you'll find more information at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Just click on Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at the bottom of the page. Before we end today, Pastor J.D. has an encouraging word to share with you. It is such a blessing for me personally to be able to share God's Word with you on each edition of our In Spirit and Truth radio broadcast. Also, I'm so very thankful that you've tuned in to listen. The book of 2 Corinthians provides us a much-needed reminder of how divine power is realized in our human weakness. Sadly, though, this is not a popular topic today because, as one so aptly said it, the gospel does not ride on health and wealth, but on weakness. The ministry of the Spirit is not one of splash and flash, but of meekness and weakness. It's for this reason that 2 Corinthians has become one of my favorite books in the Bible. Not only does it provide us with the key to living victorious Christian lives, it also provides us practical application concerning how we treat other believers in our lives. It's my hope and prayer that you will be as encouraged and blessed by this book as I was. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in again for another edition of In Spirit and Truth Radio. 